0: Hello, I'm Karis. And I'm Rachel, and together we are the Therapy Sisters podcast where we invite you to come home to yourself. We are therapist sisters and works in progress. Do you have a success story of overcoming something challenging in your life?
1: We want to hear from you. Please email your story to thetherapysisters at gmail.com to be included in our regular installment of Own Your Story.
0: We want to encourage fellow female journeyers with stories of success and growth. We want to note that although we are clinical therapists, this podcast is not a replacement for individual therapy, and we are not here to give clinical advice. Please see our show notes for recommendations of therapists in your area. Hi there, this is Karis with the Therapy Sisters,
1: and we have a couple of special invitations for you. First, we have started a private, ladies-only Facebook community. Our mission with this community is to provide a supportive network of women to help facilitate connection, growth, and learning. Rachel and I will be showing up there regularly and eventually we'll be providing lots of helpful resources, tips, tools, and guidance to help women connect to themselves and step into their most authentic, balanced lives. If this sounds interesting to you, the group is called the Authentically You Sisterhood. Second, we have a gift for you. If you are interested in digging deeper on the four areas of connection we covered in our first series, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational, we have written a guide with lots of ways to lean into each of those areas, and with journaling prompts and exercises that will help facilitate the journey of coming home to your authentic self. You can find links to the Facebook group and to the guide in our show notes. Now, on to the show. All right, Rachel, why pursue therapy? Why pursue
0: therapy? Why, why would anyone do that? So, <laughs> you know, that is the question. I think there's a plethora of reasons, right? So it's so interesting because I think people, from what I hear, the generalization that I will conclude, is that people think therapy is only for like a major, major, major crisis, right? Yeah. So somebody died or you're going through like a horrific divorce or... Um, you know, like you you experience a severe sexual trauma. And although therapy is incredible for those reasons and necessary, um, I think there's a lot of things in between. So I think for sure, a trauma, a divorce... Severe anxiety or depression, which, you know, and I think both of our professional opinions are usually, usually often, often closely connected to trauma, right? Like right. their symptomology of an underlying trauma, and that's how it's presenting itself, right? Very often. But I just think it's so much more, you know? And so it's interesting how often I get a client that comes to see me for something like a transition. And then as we start talking, they just recognize um, maybe patterns they didn't know were hurting them or were unhealthy, right? So maybe like, they don't know what boundaries are, or they don't know how to utilize their voice in their marriage, or they don't have good friendships, or they second-guess themselves a lot, or they um, have tons of guilt, or they feel like they question like every parenting thing that they do, right? And until we start talking, they don't realize that those are a lot of those things are distortion or patterns that formed from childhood to present that are affecting their current and that they could feel better, right? Right. Or even... Sometimes
1: there, people, I, I don't know if you find this to be true, but a lot of times we'll get to stock talking and we'll be doing the background and the history or, we'll, yeah. you know, we'll get into our work together and we're a number of sessions in. And then they mention something in their history that is certainly traumatic, but for right. them, they just dismiss it as like their normal life or um, right. maybe even minimize the fact that it, it felt traumatic for them. So I always mm-hmm. ask that question. Is there anything mm-hmm. in your life that has felt traumatic to you. And I hear people minimize that all the time.
0: Um, all the time. Or the yep. other
1: thing is, a lot of times you get started on one reason, for one reason. And as you get into your work, other things come up in life that you have to navigate. And that's where a lot of those kinds of patterns that you're talking about end up coming yeah. out. And you're like, okay, we've got some yep. work to do here.
0: Yep. Yeah. And sometimes it's even stuff like if they had a baby. Right. And they're realizing that they can't manage the whole household anymore and they need help, but they don't know they can ask for help because their mom was someone who did it all, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it is so interesting to kind of ask some of those questions. Well, how do you how do you feel about that? Do you have a partner who would help you? I don't know. I never asked. Mm-hmm. Or when I do ask, he gets mad at me. I mean, that's all information for us. Like, okay, so there's obviously some things in here, some patterns that yeah. we need to work on. And I think too, even your family of origin, like we all repeat patterns that we know. Absolutely. So, they work for you until they don't like just like a trauma response. So a trauma response can be your fight, flight or freeze. It works for you until it doesn't until it causes a barrier. So therapists are not friends. Although I always say (laughs) I have so many clients that make comments about, I wish we were friends. And I always say, that's a good sign because you feel comfortable with me that you feel like you wish that we could be involved in each other's lives. So they're not friends, but, um, but they do support, they do advocate, they do validate, empathize, affirm and guide. Um, and I think that those are kind of some roles that we have, um, along, of course, with like clinical, you know, clinical, um, interventions and that sort of thing. But to right, me, right. those things have to be there first, right. For, for anything else to work. So yeah, that I think piece. everybody, of course, everybody can use therapy, even those who think they don't need it or those who think that they're healthy enough. Like they just, they function fine. Maybe their life isn't at a halting stop. So they think they're good, um, and obviously in situations where there have been a crisis, therapy is always wise to seek out. But I think it's also important for everyday life because therapists, good therapists are objective and insightful. So I think therapy is important for, um, you know, everyday struggles so struggles in your relationships. And it doesn't have to be you're on the brink of divorce right? or um, it doesn't have to be, even be marriage. I mean, it can be struggling in friendships, you know, or trying to connect your with career, people. Career, workers um, Yeah. Difficulty communicating. So utilizing your voice can come out in the work setting, too. Um, difficulty if identifying emotions or feelings, like if you're just not sure what you feel or or what's causing a disrupt in you, but you know there's something. Feeling overwhelmed, not feeling content or happy. And then I think, you know, the obvious things like severe depression or anxiety where you're not getting out of bed, you're having really low motivation, you feel really anxious on edge, um, you can't go to social events because you're so anxious. Um, and then, of course, the more severe things like bipolar um, and other, uh, you know, other diagnoses that need that need support and medication and. Um, so I mean, obviously, there's there's more serious ones, um, but I think kind of the point of this conversation is to point out the ones that get overlooked. Yeah, <laughs> and understanding yeah. like when it is, it is a necessity and it is important and it is, I think, just even. Noting it is valid because I think, yeah. I don't know if you get this, I'm sure you do, but I get a lot of clients who, even when I first meet them minimize. like, I mean, it's not really a big deal, but right, right, right. so-and-so said you were great. So I decided just to come meet with you a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things just like to normalize, you know, like therapy is a normal part of life, just like going to your dentist or going to your doctor or anything right. else.
1: Yeah. I love that point. Like the way you would manage your physical health by going to your physicals yeah. and- you know, going to the doctor when you don't feel well or your your yeah, your tooth health or right, right. whatever else. It's just it's just another facet of your health, your mental and emotional health. And so, um, yeah, just kind of working at breaking down this the stigma around that and the barriers to pursuing therapy. Which that feels like a good yeah. segue. So what are some reasons? <laughs> Let's talk about some reasons that people might
0: not pursue therapy. What have you heard? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, I'm not that bad. It's not that bad, right? right? Um, I mean, what could a therapist possibly know that I don't already know? Mm. This is just how it yeah. is. A, a lot of times when I work with um, men, uh, what I hear is like, ooh, like I don't really want to change because the, well, the change might make me less successful mm. or the change might make me less... Um, I mean, because it presents differently, right? So right. a lot of times when I work with men they they'll call me and say, my wife thinks I have anger issues and really it's depression coming out of the seams in a form of anger. Right. Right. (laughs) And so, or grief or or anxiety or something. Right. And so one of the fears they have is, I mean, I don't want to give this part up because I also use this to be the CEO of my company and to make sure people know to respect me. And so I think part of it is like, I don't really want to change these things because the change will cost me without actually realizing that not changing also costs you.
1: Right. But I don't think I would just say I don't think people often realize that they've got those cognitive oh, no. blocks no. like no we no. hang on we hang on to things that make us miserable because we know them and because changing them is scary and that's off, often a very subconscious thing so that fear of change is actually like that's a huge reason you know people think they yeah. want to change and then they get into it yeah. and they like everything in their subconscious screams against it right and so
0: yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so I think that's a huge one, but people don't know that coming in. Usually we have to do the work Absolutely. and figure out what's kind of driving that. What do you, that cost benefit analysis? Cause you're right. It yep. costs, it costs either yep. way. So choose your heart.
0: Yep. And I also think um, the goal of therapy is not to change you. Like, it's not to change who you are. It's to change patterns that aren't benefiting you anymore. Right. So it doesn't mean that you won't be an effective CEO any longer. It means you'll probably be more effective because right. you'll actually understand yourself and your limits and what's driving that. And probably people might respect you more because you're not, you know, maybe you're not as much of the bulldog who doesn't care about feelings, right? So... um, And I like, can I just say something right there? I like yeah, always
1: evaluating too, like every quality we have, most every quality we have, has a beneficial function for us, and has kind of that shadow side where it doesn't serve Absolutely. us. So, like, what comes to mind is perfectionism. So, somebody who's a mm-hmm. perfectionist, like, is I don't generally... Know anything about
0: that? What are I don't you talking there? about generally, very I've never driven, struggled with
1: that. Very, <laughs> yes, very <laughs> driven, very successful. Like, can get it done, ha- has it together, or at least appears like they have it together. But the mm-hmm. shadow side of that is the inner critic, right? That just what, no yep. matter what you do. That inner critic is never satisfied. Never yeah. So yep. it's that it's 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 help it's helping people understand like this personality trait. Maybe it serves you in some way. So let's let's hang on to that. Let's let's work with the way that it serves you. And then let's release the ways that it doesn't.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep. I always talk about that too. Like the goal is not to take those things away, they're to make them work in a way that works for you. So I always give right. the example of I still have perfectionistic tendencies or um like I have a one wing on the Enneagram, right? So I'm like, that's the part that gets stuff done, right? Like my paperwork is done on time. My house is clean. My bills are paid. I'm really like structured about specific things, but not at the cost of myself anymore. Like I have the flexibility to decide when that works to me when it doesn't. Where before right, it was like super no. destructive, right? Yeah. 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 So going back though, I think I think a lot of reasons uh, people also don't come as, um, I don't know if I said this one, but it's not going to get better.
1: Right. Just that resignation.
0: Yeah. I don't want to pay for it. Which even that... uh man, really evaluating what you're paying for. And I want to be clear. It's different if like you literally can't afford therapy. Yeah. But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who can and who just don't prioritize it because it's just an extra thing. Yep. Yeah. And maybe don't understand the value of it, right? Um, one that's really hard and that always makes my heart sting when I hear it is I had a really bad experience before. Yeah. I've had clients come to me who have said, literally, you are my last hope if this does not go well, I will not come back to therapy. And my thought of that is like No pressure. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't hear that. I hear like, oh what oh, yeah like what an invi- what an invitation. Absolutely. Like, and so then yes. even hearing that hearing their story of, you know, even things like, well my therapist talked about her grandkids the whole time. Oh. Or I don't know what a treatment plan is. Or my or, therapist slept through my sessions. Have you gotten that one? I've gotten that one more than once. <sighs> yes, I'm like what I on have earth? I have. I have. <sighs> my therapist answered their cell phone. <gasps> my therapist um, didn't give any feedback. They just said uh-huh a lot. Right. Yes. No insight,
1: no help. I could talk. That's nice, but Yeah.
0: Yeah, which you can you have friends, so you have friends for that, right? Or even I think you mentioned this one to me. My therapist said, um, they're only gonna treat my anxiety. They're not going to treat yes. what's under that, right? So, like, We're interested in my trauma history.
1: <laughs> That's what it was. My therapist wasn't really interested in my trauma history. We, we just were going to treat anxiety. Interested That's in what my trauma history. What?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about that too, therapy is never about your therapist. It's about you and your story and where you're at and what you're ready to do, right? Yep. But when I think about that too, um, clients are, just like we are, right? If I go to the cardiologist, I'm real vulnerable. I don't know anything about heart health. You do. like You're the one who knows it all. I'm trusting you to do these tests and make sure everything's running on if it's not to tell me. And I'm going to follow what you say. I think the difficult thing about therapy is clients are also that way. And if you are not an insightful, attuned therapist or you're someone who doesn't want it what what was it that you said doesn't have interest in your trauma history right. a client doesn't necessarily know that that's a red flag cuz they right. don't know no, Yeah, and so yeah and so when i hear those stories i'm like oh yeah, like that's the stuff where i'm like that's legitimate but but like healing is possible so let's dig in right absolutely, um, absolutely. i'm too busy i hear that one a lot when yeah. would i find time for that And again, I go back to like, we find time for the things that are most important to us. Like if I'm having heart issues, I'm going to find time to meet with my cardiologist, right? If I have, um, if my kid has some struggles, I'm going to find time to take them to therapy every week. Like there's going to be things that you prioritize if it's important. Um, And, you know, I don't want to open up to a stranger. That feels really awkward, you know? And so I think they're all valid things. And I think they're also... um, they also can be blocking belief patterns, which are distorted belief patterns, because if you're not willing to engage in it, then you never really find out. Right, right. Absolutely. So, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, indications that you might need therapy? Yeah. I was going to just say about opening up to a stranger real quick, though. Yeah. Two things.
1: One, I always commend my clients, especially the oh, ones yeah. that express to me, like, this this feels really uncomfortable or I never thought I would talk to somebody or um, whatever. I always commend to them the courage and vulnerability it takes Mm -hmm. to initiate a therapeutic process. And I think that's such a strength. I think that's such an admirable Mm -hmm. quality when people are willing to open themselves up. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is like, it's great talking to a stranger (laughs) and this is one of the benefits of therapy that (laughs) you're talking to somebody who's not in any other corner of your life. This person, Mm -hmm, you know, rightly, you know, if it's the right kind of therapeutic relationship, this person is completely objective. They're not involved in any of your other relationships. They have no, like, personal uh, gain or loss to the decisions that you make because it's about you. It's not about me. So there's actually a ton of benefit in talking to a stranger. And over time... They become not a, stranger, They're right? not a stranger. They become like right. a trusted guide and a confidant. So yeah, talk to a stranger. Not like a random stranger, but talk to a professional stranger. Yes. It's good for you.
0: And it feels that good. You trust. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that too, what you just said about um the like the the, the strength of talking to somebody. Yeah. Um, I continually thank my clients for trusting me. Yes, me too. Like, not the first session, the whole time I see you for yes. three years until you finish, right? Yes. I I, every time I, um, I discharged two people this week and both times I said, I just want to thank you for choosing me to be the one to walk you through your journey to, to just, cause I'm not like you did all the work. I just got to walk alongside you in it. And like, what a privilege, you know? So I think even that, like, and I just think like anytime you're looking for a therapist, the perspective should be like that you are, that, that we as therapists feel so privileged that you are inviting us into your story. right? Like, And that's a continual conversation. And I think that's part of what makes both of our, your clients and my clients feel so safe with us is that is the perspective and the approach of like, I will never take for granted that you are sharing these things with me or that you are giving me permission to speak into your life and to walk alongside you and to be sharing your humanness, you know? And so I think there's just so much beauty in like, just the human connection of that, too. So,
1: absolutely. And, like, what you said earlier about when people tell you, you're my last hope, or like, if this isn't work, I'm done. Just the privilege and yeah. just the privilege in that, that somebody would give you the opportunity
0: yeah. To, yeah. Yeah.
1: to walk with them when they've been burned before. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And then, yeah, I, me too. I, I often will say, especially like, there have been a couple instances recently when I've been working with somebody for a while and they share something new with me that they've mm-hmm. never told anybody. And I hear that all the time. I've never told this to anybody. And, yeah, sure. and yeah. I always want to validate like the courage that that takes mm-hmm. and thank somebody for including me in that. Like I can't help you navigate that if I don't know.
0: If I don't know.
1: And yep. it's your choice yep. whether you make me privy to that or not. And so, yeah, it's an yep. absolute honor and it's a
0: privilege. And I hold that close as well. But I think in those situations too, the shame reduction that comes with sharing that with us And the response, like I've asked before, what did you, how did you think I would respond? Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I thought, I thought you would accept, but I just, I don't know. And the fact that I, like my face in it change, there's always compassion, empathy, even if it's something horrific that you've done, you know? So I think even that, like the courage it takes to share and the benefit of that when you finally decide to take that leap and and get in touch with a therapist for sure. Yeah, and shame's
1: its own topic, but yeah, there's, that's the first step in kind of breaking down the walls of shame is Mm -hmm. sharing your story. And the, one of the safest places to share that is in a therapeutic environment. Yep. Absolutely. So indications you might need therapy. Obviously there are the big ones like life transitions, um, Mm -hmm. you know, trauma. So life transitions. So you mentioned a bunch. So grief, divorce, loss, you know, having a baby, sending your child to college, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, various marital, Yeah, getting married, various yeah. marital milestones. I don't know a single person who yeah. hasn't had some level of struggle in their marriage. And I think as you like sure. grow as a person, that some of those things come, you know, to the surface as you get to know yourself more. Sure. Um, sure. so so those kinds of transitions, navigating through those, but also struggling in friendships and relationships. Like people I don't know, I have mm-hmm. one client right now who tells me she has always been the target of bullying from childhood on and she's mm-hmm. forty now and is experiencing that in the workplace so there's a pattern Mm -hmm. there so anytime you see a pattern like that where it's like okay i'm noticing like this keeps happening in my relationships or this keeps happening around me or in my life something's going on there and that's worth exploring if you've got some childhood stuff and it doesn't have to be like the big t traumas which just Just so we are clear, big T traumas are those objective traumas, right? That no one would argue, okay, this was, this would be traumatic for anybody. So combat, rape, you know, childhood sexual assault, those kinds of things, abuse, those Mm -hmm. are are traumatic, but Mm -hmm. there are plenty of things along the way that are more what we call the little T traumas, which are are a little bit more subjective. So like, depending on my personality, background, upbringing, whatever,
0: something that I might experience,
1: I might, that might traumatize me. And even if you experience the exact same thing, you might be fine. Right. So, so figuring out what those things are and, you know, and we don't always know until we start doing the work. Mm -hmm. So I know that there are some things. So for example, uh, you know, I hear people say, you know, in my household, we never talked about emotions. Like if I was Mm -hmm. upset, I was either told to settle down or you're fine, you're fine, or something dismissive. We never talked about it. If there was an argument or a conflict in the family, it would blow up. We'd all walk away and we'd come back and pretend like nothing happened, right? And so like that for your family, it worked in some way. It had some functionality for it, but maybe now in adulthood, that's not working in your adult relationships, right? So figuring out, okay, what are the things that I need to maybe address? What are the patterns that I need to change? Um, Yeah, so- you are learning a lot or I'm sorry, you're leaning a lot on, on your people. Like, let's say you are going through some things or you're thinking about a lot of things and you're, you know, you're feeling like you're constantly talking to your sister or you're constantly talking to your friend or your husband or whatever, which that's great. Like talk to your people. Absolutely. But going back to kind of like the benefit of talking to a stranger, having somebody outside of your immediate circle is so, so helpful and they can give Mm -hmm. you a different perspective than the people who have you know, a personal investment in your life. So, um, so that's a good time. I hear people say like, <laughs> I don't do emotions or I don't do vulnerability. Right. That's a good indication that maybe therapy could be good for you. <laughs> like let's right, learn right. how to get in touch with our emotions. Let's learn this full, beautiful range of the emotional experience that makes us human. And let's learn to express that and lean into that. Um, lots of people avoid emotions. Lots of people they can be uncomfortable and, and lots, and even more people. Yeah. Even more people avoid vulnerability. Yeah. It's terrified of that. I'll be honest and say that I'm terrified of that. I'm not vulnerable Mm -hmm. with a lot of people with Mm -hmm. most people. Mm -hmm. You got to be like real close to me for me to even admit that I'm struggling. (laughs) So (laughs) there are just a few, which I think is okay. As long as we're practicing that. Right. Sure. Um, Let's say maybe you need something specific, like, a specific modality. We'll get into this. We're going to, in our therapy series, we're going to talk about different types of therapy and where they're useful mm-hmm. and what, you know, what kinds of things might they be indicated for. So maybe you need like some CBT, some cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe you need to really work on the, th- the thought processes that aren't serving you. Maybe you have a really loud inner critic and it would be really helpful to meet with a cognitive behavioral therapist who can help you reframe those thoughts and change that voice or maybe you have trauma and you need a very a trauma informed type of therapy such as EMDR. So so just needing something specific would is a gr- obviously a great time to pursue therapy. And then ma- sometimes people have trauma from their past. So this this client that I mentioned who was told we you know we're not going to really work on the trauma. Let's really deal with your anxiety. You know, we'd been meeting several sessions and I had even done like the background, like anything trauma, traumatic in your life. And she had sort of mentioned, oh, I had a, I had a friend who bullied me. And when she told me the full extent of the story, several sessions in, it was an incredibly, incredibly traumatic, horrible, horribly Mm -hmm. abusive situation. And so like, it wasn't, it wasn't bullying. It was abuse. And so, you know, just. Um, sometimes people just kind of dismiss their own trauma, like, or, or minimize it. Oh, I was bullied as a kid. Um, and don't always like bring those things up or realize as they grow into adulthood, there's something here for me. Like I really struggle with ABCD and it has its roots in that past trauma that you never really talked to anybody about. And so digging into some of that stuff, which is painful and difficult to bring that stuff back up. But it's also necessary you can't get over it if you don't go through it.
0: Well, and I just want to piggyback off that, too, and say the clients that I've done EMDR with who, I mean, would say probably little teeth, right, would all tell you it is so worth it, <laughs> you know? And, like, you know, I had a client who had a, a trauma recently, like a re-trauma outside of their control, and they sent me a message, and they said, I'm okay, I'm okay, but my EMDR is working. My EMDR is working and I can tell. And I can't wait to meet with you to tell you like how stabilized I am in the midst of all of this, right? And so it's just, it's one of those things where it is really kind of a scary thing to do, but but I don't have any clients that regret it. I don't regret doing it for myself, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like once you get going and you start seeing the benefits, it you get your life in a whole different way, you know? You
1: do, you absolutely do. And so, yeah, if you can get over that barrier of like, really what is a fear of change right even if whatever you have going on isn't working for you now we're still scared to change it if you can get past that obstacle and confront that kind of you know that that cognitive block of i you know if i let go of this you know i've had people say with with complexities of trauma say if i'm not this person or if i'm not a victim of this trauma then who am i
0: Like if I'm not
1: struggling with, Mm -hmm. then what does that mean for me? What does it even look like if I'm stable? That's scary. Even though we want stability, it's scary because you don't know what it is. So, um, so yeah, so, so just getting past some of those obstacles, but yeah, Yeah. once you're able to do that, it is so worth it. And it's, it's almost weird. It's like, you can recognize intellectually, this should bother me. (laughs) And it doesn't. This kind of thing would have bothered me before, but I'm okay. Or I never would have spoken my mind the way I did in that situation or drawn mm-hmm. that boundary the way I did. And I was mm-hmm. able to do that. And that feels amazing. And that feels yeah. empowering.
0: Yeah. And I just want to side note too that a good therapist will work through the stages of change with you to get you to a place where you are ready to change. That isn't up to you to just yeah. get there. Like a good therapist will walk through all those barriers with you and help you get to the place where you are ready. So I just want to put that in there too. Absolutely. Um, so so we've mentioned several times uh, that we have done our own therapy adventures, right? Because we're both believers in therapy. Um, so we thought it would be helpful to maybe share our therapeutic journey a little bit just to normalize it and let people know kind of what led us, I mean, even led us kind of to like where we are in our own um, careers now, you know? Yeah. So for me, I I, you know, I, I went through an eight-year battle of anorexia and bulimia and then, you know, they all worked together. So binge eating disorder at the end and I got caught, my senior year of high school. And so, you know, that was a long time ago. And I don't think our parents knew much about eating disorders. I mean, Karen Carpenter died in the seventies, right? So they didn't really know what to do. Um, and so I don't think, and I don't think there were a lot of resources where I lived either, but basically they're like, well, you need to go to therapy. You're not moving to Michigan in a few months. So I went to therapy for three months. (laughs) That was my first introduction to therapy and it was fine. It wasn't like, I was young. I was 17. It wasn't like a bad experience, but certainly wasn't something that was going to get me into a place of recovery in three months when I had a pretty active eating disorder. So then I moved back up to Michigan and started my college career and, you know, kept all those behaviors going. And then when I graduated college, I just hit a point where I'd I'd ended a a long-term relationship and, you know, we grew up in a conservative Christian culture, so all of my friends were married. I was not, and I had a lot of, I think, shame around that. Like there was something wrong that I hadn't. Sure. Which is so funny to me. Funny to me now at this age of life that I thought I should, you know, find my husband in a college community of a thousand people.
1: Right. <laughs> and with it, by the but, way, with a female to male ratio of six
0: to one. Right. <laughs> like right. the odds are not in your favor. Oh, Lord. That's That's how you know my brain wasn't finished being developed yet, but that's okay. So, anyway. um, Yeah, that's okay. I was right there with you. you. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: So, I started my first job and I was, you know, a bachelor's level social worker. And, you know, I have a two on the enneagram, so I'm a giver. So, I was pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And the more I poured out, the more I had to regulate. And so, I was regulating through food and behaviors. And I just remember hitting a point where I just had like so much shame and despair. Like, I had such a almost like a. I felt like I was two people. So in this setting, I was like this competent, you know, present, great person. And at home, I felt like I was this, you know, talk about that shadow side, like this broken, versus identity. fearful, yeah, like um, just kind of lost person, right? And then I think too, going back, like I had, um, you know, I had an identity as a strong Christian girl. So that was real conflictual with my behaviors, you know, like that was really conflictual with what I was doing. And so, um, Actually, the place that I had worked did a training on eating disorders because I was working with adolescent um, teen moms, and I was like, "Oh, like you, I don't know if you ever had a situation like this, but I'm I'm, I'm like the speaker." No, she's like looking at me. She's like, "You're the one." Right? I know what you did last yes. night? How do you know? <laughs> so, I'm like, "How does she know?" So I ended up <clears throat> going to therapy for a while, and um, I saw a therapist who has recovered herself, which made such a difference in feeling. Um, Like, heard and seen, and not like dirty, you know? Like, there wasn't something wrong with me that I was doing these things. It was that there was something wrong, but not with me. I wasn't the problem, you know? Right. And so, I was able to kind of go through and um, work through kind of the root causes, mostly CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and then a lot of emotion regulation skills and learning to cope healthily, but kind of working through some of those root struggles and really finding my confidence in my voice. And so um, I got to a point that I was diagnosed, recovered. And then I never really, I mean, I've been good for a long time. And, you know, I have great great friends, great supports, and, you know, have continually worked on, I think, my my own regulation skills have increased and grown and meditation like the older i've gotten the more those things have become kind of sacred to me and like you know added more stressors like starting a company and having two children like just all the things i hold on to those so much more more deeply and then um about i don't know was it a year ago over a year ago um we both did our emdr basic training together and you said to me you're like i kind of want to go to emdr and just check it out like just see you know and so when you do the training i got the other side of the table yeah. Client. Like I want to be a client, yeah. which I always, I always value that like to be a client because yeah. I, I want to know what it's like to be in your shoes. Right. Um, Cause I don't want to take that for granted. I think it just gives you insight rather than just, you know, like being in the situation versus reading the textbook essentially. Right. So, um, so in EMDR training, you have to be a client for half of the training. So you have, you know, in the afternoon we would have to do um, basically like you know a practicum where you are the therapist the client and then you're the observer and you give feedback and so I kind of experienced that a little bit and I was like wow that was really powerful and um and so then uh, we you and I had talked about it and I, and I didn't really have anything that I was like I wonder I really need to work on this it wasn't that at all I wasn't I wouldn't have like a list of like here are my current struggles you know um but I ended up researching and found a consultant because Um, because I have the privilege of being educated. I know the levels of EMDR. So I'm like, I'm going to find a consultant who is the highest level because she teaches therapists and I want to make sure I'm with somebody who is very, very seasoned. So I'm not feeling well-practiced. Yeah, Yeah. An expert, an expert, right? And so I dove in probably a year ago and it has been so pivotal for me. Um, I shared earlier that I have had a lot of health issues over the last five years and it's so interesting to me. And I've done a lot of so. When you do EMDR, you pick a specific target, and then you identify memories that are connected to that target. And I'm a huge believer that like our mind got, you know, everything is connected. Like our emotions are connected and stored in our bodies because trauma is stored in our bodies. And so, um, and just with my history of having eating disorder, um, even though I've been in a recovered space for I don't even know 17 years, a really long time, um. I was curious, like, are there things in there that I just didn't know? Like, are there little traumas that affected my feelings about myself or are there things, little traumas that affect my current health status, like the things that are carried in my body? Because I feel like there is a connection to stress in my body. And so um, it has just been such a healing process for me to gain insight into myself. And it's been really um, healing and beautiful to be the client again, because I have... The best of friends, I have you and I have a couple of really close friends that I share my soul with. But going back to that objective person who's in your corner, like it is so healing when she's like, well, of course that bothered you. Of course, you know, or like even the The validation that must have been so hard or like, let's talk about that 13 year old part of you that just didn't feel seen in that situation. And and I also think it's made me a better clinician Because it's given me so much more insight into myself, which gives me permission to have so much more insight into others and be present in a whole different way. And it's made me a better mom. Because even though I knew logically, so when you think about like our logic versus emotion, even though I knew logically um, how my kids were behaving or what was going on, there were little things that would trigger me in emotional responses that I would have to be like, ugh, like breathe, you're so frustrated right now. And so when I've worked through a lot of like why that happens to me, now my response for the most part is like, okay, okay, let's figure it out. You don't need to yell. Like we can take a minute. And right. don't get me wrong, we're human. There's times where I'm not that way. But when I think about like how much I've made in my, um how much progress I've made and even like my feeling dysregulated by dysregulating things? Like I can center and ground so much more quicker because I'm more attuned to myself. So you know, I just think too, like, I just want to point out, like, I I wasn't in a broken spot. I didn't even think, I didn't even necessarily think I needed therapy. I wasn't like, oh man, I'm really struggling. I just was right, curious. Right. And it has just brought so much goodness to my life. And the more I've done it, the more I like make a list of like, huh, I kind of want to see if there's something in this or this connects to this or Um, Maybe there's something I need to kind of look at with this and um, really has just been kind of redemptive for me in a whole different way. So I strongly encourage it. Um, What about you? Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't
1: admittedly, I hadn't done therapy. um, I'm seasoned. Childhood, adolescence. (laughs)
0: Yeah, or maybe I was just a more problematic child to our parents.
1: (laughs) Just kidding, (laughs) you're the problem child. Uh, No, I think uh, we can agree that Katrina, our youngest sister, was the problem child. Just kidding, Katrina, we love you. (laughs) That that Um, is that is slightly true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I just hadn't had. I just hadn't had therapy. I, I, you know, sort of thought that I didn't need it. (laughs) You know that I like I hadn't gone through. I did not gone through anything. I, I didn't have, I mean, I've gone through stuff, but I didn't have any like of the big T traumas. I'm very, very, very fortunate in that, you know? And I think it was kind of for me too, our, our experience in EMDR coupled with, actually, I love it when my clients teach me because coupled with uh, just hearing mm-hmm. from one of my clients mm-hmm. about a book they'd read. And mm-hmm. I decided to read this book because as we're talking, And as she's kind of, like, processing through the stuff, I'm realizing, okay, that might be relevant to me. So I make the decision to read this book alongside of, like, we're also going through the EMDR training. And I'm just realizing some things that I've, like, I'm on a level I've always known are true for me. But I think I had Mm -hmm. deceived myself in believing that I had overcome all of these things. So Mm -hmm. things like... Mm You know, being more passive person, being more of a people pleaser, those perfectionist Mm -hmm. traits. I actually had a friend say to me a couple of years ago, as we were getting to know each other, you're a perfectionist, aren't you? And I was like, I remember feeling offended by that because I was like, (laughs) I was like, I'm really honest with myself about, you know, my limitations. And I try to practice self-compassion and all of that. But she was right. I am. I mean, I am. And apparently I don't hide it very well. Um, Not that I'm trying to hide it, but (laughs) (laughs) apparently it's, I'm only deceiving myself if I think that I'm not. So uh, that sort of thing. And then like my, how that feeds into my avoiding conflict of having difficult discussions and just things like that, that I actually talk a lot with clients about. And I do think, you know, in my adult life, I've made strides on, but just realizing all of those things and just kind of coming Mm -hmm. to the conclusion of, I really I, I want to talk to somebody. I want to flesh out these patterns in, in myself. Mm-hmm. I want to honor myself by doing a better job of leaning into my own voice. I want to mm-hmm. honor my relationships by speaking up about things that aren't working or things that are problematic right. in the relationship. Um, and I want to just be a more authentic person. So mm-hmm. all of those yeah. things, you know, kind of led me to that space as well. And it is wonderful. I, what you said about, You know, I I spend all day validating people. I validate my clients Mm -hmm. all day. I validate my husband. I validate my children. And and it's really something that comes very naturally for me now. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to give that to people. I don't get that a lot from others, right? Like, I'm not on the other side of that very often. And so it's just so infilling to be in a space with somebody and hear them say to you, how would you not feel that way? How would you... Of course, you're going right. to feel that way. Of course, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to respond. Look at this pattern, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's so, like, it, it makes me almost emotional because that that just feels mm-hmm. so good. Um, it's so healing, so isn't it? Like, just to be so seen healing. in that,
0: like, yeah, yeah. Just the human experience of connection in that, you know?
1: Connection and then also as a perfectionist to be seen as, imper- yeah. like, to be seen in my imperfection to still be accepted. Because I think, yeah. like, for yeah. people who are, are more perfectionistic, the message we've gotten is that we are not acceptable unless we're perfect. You have to achieve, right? It, yeah. And to be in a space with somebody who sees all the ways in which I'm not mm-hmm. perfect and still tells me that I'm okay, yeah. even though I can tell myself that, it's very different to hear that from another person. And so, like, I haven't been able to dive into the EMDR space just yet. Um I think that's going to be the next phase of kind of my Mm. journey is I would love to Mm. unpack some of those things that uh, on a deeper level, because that particular type of therapy is just a different sort of treatment. Like I've got the cognitive behavioral therapy skills. I know what to tell myself. I know what to think. I know how to reframe my thoughts. I know how to challenge my behaviors. I know how that all connects. I know what, what self-care habits I need to do to feel balanced. I know all those things. It's just some of these, some of these some of these patterns and habits, they have deeper roots. And I think I'm going to need that next stage to really address them.
0: Yeah. You can't cognitively know some of that, right? There's stuff that I've- Right, it's not conscious. Uncovered in my EMDR process, right? Where I was like, whoa, that connects. Whole okay. That makes a ton of sense, you know? And I think- I think in general, you and I are both very like strong, resilient people. Like we will be fine. We will do the thing. We will fight for whatever. You know, like we'll figure it out. So I think we will, we will, and we do. And so I think that can be a good thing, but that's a good example too of when it's not. Because sometimes like the fight to figure it out becomes like if I'm not gonna engage in EMDR and really truly figure out the route so that I can stop reacting a certain way. So for me, one of them was like if someone was condescending, I would freeze. Like I could think through, I mean, just what you're describing. I could think through what I wanted to say. I knew exactly what it was. I knew I was freezing, but it was like, I just couldn't like, I just, I mean, I'd be like, okay, okay. Even though I didn't feel that way. So when I did my EMDR around that, I I realized like that was something that happened when I was little. And I was reacting as if I was still that age in every situation where that occurred. Instead of as my nearly 38 year old self, who's like, that's not okay. And so now, since I've desensitized that, I'm I'm like, no, that's not okay. Here's what I think and here's what I want to do. So it really is something where like, you know, when you think about what you just said, you know all these skills and tools because you're a clinician, you're very self-aware, you're going to therapy. But if you're not a clinician, you're not self-aware, you're not going to therapy, these are all places that you need to start to start figuring right. yourself out so you can get yourself in a better, healthier place. And I think even acknowledging that like patterns like people-pleasing or passivity or, um, making peace at the cost of yourself, those are patterns that is not healthy behavior. And so I think people, if you don't know different, you know, like that's just what you do. And so I think really engaging in therapy helps you kind of see some of those things of like, Oh, actually I'm important too. Or I matter too, or right. why why do I have this fear if I if I assert myself? Are people gonna leave? Like what is going on? And so I think it just it's so helpful to just to point that out. Like you notice like that that wasn't necessarily a good thing for you anymore, you know? And it wasn't even necessarily not working for you. You just realized it wasn't right. going to work anymore. Right. Right, right. For whatever
1: reason. And I, I think those patterns like the people pleasing, fearing conflict, perfectionism, peacemaking, those are prevalent among women. Lots oh, and yeah. lots of women. And yeah. I think that's cultural. I think that's that's some religious conditioning. I think, you know, there's a lot to that um, that kind of creates that phenomenon. But I see it a lot with women. And I think that's a, a common way to feel. So next time on here, we are going to talk about how do you find a good therapist? What is that even? I mean, how do you know what to look for? You know, when we talk about these people who come into to therapy and are like, you're not going to fall asleep on me, are you? Or like... You know, don't Gosh. know that somebody <laughs> just sitting there passively, passively while you just talk, 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 talk. That's not really therapy. Like not engaged. So, not engaged. Right. So what are the things to look for? How do you know if you've got a yeah. good therapist? Maybe what are some even some screening questions? A lot of people now offer um, like a consultation. So what, what are the things you need to be asking and and looking for in getting yourself in with somebody who is going to be a good fit for you and is going to give you good a good therapeutic experience? So join us next time when we talk about that. But until then, we wish you well. We are the Therapy Sisters. Over and out.
0: Mm -hmm. Over and out. Thanks for joining The Therapy Sisters today for our episode. We're so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit
1: subscribe. And if you want more, please feel free to connect with us on Facebook at The Therapy Sisters Podcast, on Instagram at the underscore underscore therapy sisters, or feel free to shoot us an email at thetherapysisters at gmail.com.
0: Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review. We look forward to connecting again next Tuesday. Over and out! Oh. Mm-hmm.